From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. This is the third of a three-part series on the Bible. Jennifer Grace Bird is in the studio with me. Dr. Bird teaches at Portland Community College and the University of Portland and is the author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. Welcome, Jennifer, to Religion for Life. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about uh, your book, Permission Granted. How did you get started to uh, mm. decide to write that book? Yeah. The book itself uh, comes out of my many, many intro sections to both Testaments of the Bible. So when I was teaching full-time at Greensboro College, I did close to three dozen intro sections to both Testaments combined. And one of the things that kept happening, regardless of where students were in terms of their own faith, where they were in their own faith, if they'd grown up in the church or not, or if they did and they've left and they're struggling with how to relate to their own faith, so many students kept saying, I wish I had known this sooner. I wish mm. I wish someone had told me this sooner. And so what this book is essentially is trying to pull those most transformative moments and conversations and eye-opening why don't you look at this for yourself and not just through the lens of how you've been taught to look at this, right? Okay. So it's kind of a conversational tone to do that kind of a thing with what I think are the most uh, yeah, eye-opening moments to stop and think through for yourself. So this came out of teaching courses on yes. the Bible. Yes. And, and you uh, uh, heard questions that the students said. Yeah. So it... It comes both out of, I should clarify, not just the teaching the classes, but my own personal journey as uh -huh. well. So I had a, you know, a phase in my teenage, early 20 years where I also read the Bible very, what some people call very literally. And it was very important to me. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, in my mid twenties, I'm getting in, I'm getting messages from people I really trust that the messages conflict and they're both based on the, the Bible. And so I end up essentially going to seminary to study the Greek and the Hebrew for myself because I wanted to know for myself what it said. Well, what that leads to, as you know, as someone who's you know educated in these realms, you start to look at these things and start thinking through it. And my own perspective changed very similarly to what students' perspectives change, how mm -hmm. they change in my classrooms. So it comes both from my own kind of journey to thinking a little more critically about the Bible, but also in having that conversation with people and trying to help someone else do it gently, because I know that it can be quite unsettling to, for, to some, you know, to say, guess what? Jesus isn't the only person who's talked about as having been born of a virgin or whatever, you know, like uh -huh. all the, all the many things that, you know, I thought it was unique to the Bible or to Jesus or to Christianity just wasn't or all of the many layers. So, well, there's a real pastoral tone to your book uh, that you. comes out there of, you. you know, this is where I am. What do you think? You, you have permission. Check it out for yourself. Read the texts and, and recognize and there's another part of it, too, that even if you are from a different angle, which perhaps didn't grow up with the Bible being important. Right. There are people who are and you should, you know, hear where they're coming from. Exactly. And I, I thank you so much for raising that point, John, because, you know, I think that's important. And I think about that when I listen to people uh, struggle with um, family members or friends who are a little more conservative than, to them. And they get, instead of being understanding, they get frustrated. And mm -hmm. none of us are going to get through any of our differences of opinions without understanding each other. And that's where I think it all starts. You don't have to agree with this, but understand where someone else is coming from who 
does read it this way or whatever the situation and whatever the specific passage or issue is. Yeah, I think that's important. Well, tell me a little bit about the title Permission Granted and what, <laughs> and what the importance of permission within within this whole struggle of faith. Huh, yeah. The title actually came from a friend. A friend suggested it, but a friend who'd been listening to me talk about this project I've been working mm-hmm. on and I'm going to... And, and that was what she heard me say was that I, especially at the beginning of semesters with students of all ages, and I mean that with, at Greensboro College, there were often, you know, men and women in their 40s, 50s, 60s in these, intro, you know, um, introductory classes. And I would just look at him and say, you know, I'm not going to tell you what you should think. I want you to read it for yourself. And it's okay to not agree with it. It's okay to ask a question. And I would literally watch the just stress or anxiety roll off of their bodies. Mm -hmm. And just, you have permission to think whatever you're thinking. You know, it's okay. There's no no lightning strikes in this room. (laughs) You know, it's okay to think the way you think. And then you can deal with that from there. So that's, you know... I like that you ask, what is the deal with granting permission? But it's almost as if people need, in the realm of faith, p- people need someone to say, it's it's actually okay to use the brain God gave you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have those doubts or questions, but there's this feeling. I grew up also in a very uh, conservative congregation in which the Bible was a certain way. And, uh-huh. and you have those feelings that... I'm, I'm, there's something wrong with me if I have these doubts. And there are exactly. images, characters in the Bible that are, you know, the doubting Thomas or, or the things that if you go this way, it's down a path to perdition. It's bad news. Absolutely. And, and people, and I've even had students say, I was, you know, scorned or I was told to be, I was told to stop asking the questions I was asking. Those just aren't appropriate questions. Well, I don't know about you, John, but I'm not going to say to someone a question that they have is an inappropriate question. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way our minds work. So, yeah, it's it, people are, t- are scared. They've been trained not to have their own thoughts. And so I think it's quite freeing to say, you know, you and I still might not agree on how to read it. But go think about it for yourself. Yeah, Your own journey. Um you grew up in a conservative church, or actually, no, I grew up in a Methodist church. Okay, so yeah, so a mainstream, a mainstream church, mainstream... but in, in the South, in the South, so okay. in Roanoke, Virginia, yeah. Okay, so very much a Southern feel there, absolutely. But so my own kind of swing, if you want to call it that, into a more conservative realm, kind of confused my family. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and they just you know. Okay, so they were kind of more moderate, they and were... you were saying, "I'm going to take this." seriously yeah exactly yeah in my teenage Mm -hmm. you know high school and college years yeah and i kind of depending on the conversation i joke about it and i'm very grateful to my family for just lovingly just being with me through all of you know some of the things i ended up saying or doing you know i changed the way i dressed because i didn't want to cause my boyfriend to stumble you know it wasn't even Uh, like i dressed all that provocatively to begin Uh with and you know of course all my, my brothers my family what's what that's odd, you know, or my own mother's ordination. You know, I grew up in a church that had women as associate pastors, pastors. And then all of a sudden I'm not okay with women being ordained, you know, and and that, and it was because, you know, the Bible says, you know, I do not permit a woman to have teacher have authority over a man. And so it's against God's will, mom, for you to be ordained. And you know, How old were you then? Uh, 20. Twenty. Okay, so you're twenty. So you're in you're in college. I'm in college. Yeah, okay. and I say this to my mother on one of the most uh-huh. important days of her life. Yeah, it takes some 
It takes some <laughs> courage or something. Some Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so she told me her story, and there you go, right? You know? She told you her story of her own uh, yeah. calling. Yeah, her own calling that others spoke to her. Marianne, you're good at this. Have you thought mm. about? It wasn't like she was seeking something out, you know, and that's how callings often work. Jennifer uh, Grace Bird is my guest on Religion for Life. If you're just joining us, she's the author of Permission Granted, uh, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Was that was that kind of the catalyst that said you need to start rethinking the Bible or that come later? Or was it a particular Bible story that didn't read right? Or how did you start to uh, question inerrancy? I assume that's what it was that, is, that you that were... That is essentially what it boils down to, right, in my, in my situation. And... What got me to seminary, I think, is what the kind of where things for me kind of progressed was it was a couple stories and it was just life relationships kind of piling up in a good way. You know, so okay. I have my mother is ordained in Methodist church and she has four churches because the Methodist church sometimes does that. And, you know, out in rural uh -huh. Virginia. And she's good at what she does. And yet this biblical passage says something else in my mind. And one of my former, you know, young life leaders who taught me in a sense how to engage the Bible in this particular way is now also seeking ordination. And I don't, and it's a woman and I don't know what to do with that. And, and so as you're probably hearing, the female piece is a big part of this, mm -hmm. right? For me and being a per person with certain giftings. And I had been reading the Bible in a way that silenced myself at times. Okay. And this, uh, one of my, you know, kind of heroes, one of my, one of the women in my life who's really important, highlighted that for me in a way for me to see that I was reading the Bible in a way to my own detriment. And she read the Martha Mary story, actually, um, to get to a specific story. She read it in a way that said, and it's actually the Greek kind of upholds this kind of a reading, um, the, the end of the passage at the Martha Mary interchange with Jesus, you know, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus, Martha comes in and says, why aren't you, you know, telling Mary to get in here and help me in the kitchen? And Jesus, what people tend to say is Jesus says that Mary has chosen what is better. But what this friend did was she said that Mary chose is better. Okay. The fact that she chose. Instead of being told what, what to, to do, do. by huh. patriarchal society or right. the gender role expectations. And just leave it at that. Like, she chose what she wanted to do in this moment. And that is good. And then this friend followed up and said, and this person I know, Jennifer Bird, um, has been giving in to what's been expected of her, not doing what's what she wants. And she said this in her master's, the, you know, and it like blew me away. And I thought, oh, if that s slight change just in looking at the languages can make that big of a difference for me. There might be other things like that. And so that's what got me, I think. That's the big hook that got me to seminary. And that's, of course, uh, part of the theme throughout is the idea of choosing. That you, yeah. you are uh, a person who has the capabilities to make some choices about the texts, about how you understand God, about yes. the whole deal. Yes, absolutely. We're not all the same, and that's a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, tell me about some of the passages in the Bible uh, that you run into with, with students that uh, kind of opens their eyes or what's, what's that reaction Ooh, been like or, yeah. or something that uh, within your book itself. That I enjoy, yeah, that's in the book that I enjoyed talking about. There, well, it's funny. It's I feel like we could go chapter by chapter and talk uh -huh. about it, but obviously we don't have time to do all of that. But I think one of the really fun stories is talking about the Garden of Eden 
Right. And so was Eve bad or not? <laughs> right. Or was she, you know? Um, and, and of course, the, the take is that, oh, wait a second, this is, this is a good thing. It's all about becoming a human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's my take on it, at least. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was more about what it was about. So it is fun to talk through that story and to, you know, talk through how what's described in chapter two and the creating of the humans and how the first human isn't necessarily male or female. It's just kind of a genderless being. And you start putting these little steps, pieces together, and they really build to a significantly different meaning, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's fun, you know, just to have people sit there and take in. I've been taught a particular thing about this, you know, and man was made first and woman was made to complete him and that's not the hebrew doesn't really uphold that reading you know if you want to read it that way that's fine but just so you know that you know the story itself is doing something different but but especially especially the um the interchange yeah well you know that argument is being used a great deal for those who would deny same-sex marriage that you know uh eve completed Adam, and that's the way it works in the natural order of things. But your yeah. reading of that says that isn't what it was about. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us, true. tell me why. So I'm coming at you. I'm saying, wait a second. You know, the Bible is very clear that there are men and there are women, and that's the way it's supposed to be, and it's right within the ah. third chapter or whatever. Right. Actually, it's right there in the end of the second chapter. Second chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and in that passage is really shocking for people. So thank you for asking that. I think what many of us have been taught to read at that the end of Genesis 2, where it says, you know, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And there's, I've not found a single English translation that doesn't say, and um, he shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife or cling to his wife. Mm-hmm. And the, the Hebrew there is just as much cling to his woman. And so the translation committees have made a decision to, to, make us think that what is happening in this story is the issue of marriage. Okay. And I think what is happening in this story is outlining um, what humans do, which is we are born, we grow up, and we leave and strike out on our own. And I almost think that this story is as much to comfort the mothers (laughs) who are sad that their babies are leaving home or right. as some mothers have said to me, or to kick the kid out of the nest because it's time to leave home, that the, the story is about the what just the natural progression of human beings, that we do make our own thing, our own family, our own nest, if you will. And this issue of male-female, yes, of course that's in the story. It's a, it's a man and a woman, but we put too much on it, I think, to say it's mm-hmm. specifically about God's original intention for marriage. Now, of course, only a man and a woman can reproduce, and we all know that. And this is people, a group of people who needed to grow in numbers because they've been promised they would outnumber the stars. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's in their mindset. That's all they're going to talk about. I don't think it's fair to expect a patriarchal society 3,000 years ago to talk about what we, we say as family in any other way. But that doesn't mean that God is saying for all time that only a man and a woman can marry, because I don't think that's what the story is trying to get at. Yeah, and of course, the idea of striking out on your own is also com- that, that the garden, it's time to move out of the garden okay. and be a grown-up human sure. being. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yet the theology of the church has said that that was a bad thing, and so that yeah. was a sin, and so, and you need Jesus to save you from the sin. <laughs> 
I mean, what you're doing, this isn't any light thing, really. I mean, what you're doing, what other people are doing when we do critical scholarship of the Bible is challenging the whole theological foundation in it's, many respects, all the way true. from back to the church fathers and Augustine and all those guys. It's true. Yeah. How much of that do you want me to try to <laughs> fill in? Because you just kind of summarized it very nicely, John. <laughs> um, well, that also makes it kind of scary, though, doesn't it? For exactly. people who are saying, if I start to go down this path, and this is what those who preach against progressive Christianity might be saying, if you start to go down that path, you're throwing it all out. Yeah. The whole house of cards tumbles. Right, right, right. right. The slippery slope, however you want to talk about that. Yeah, where does it end if you're going to challenge this piece? I, you know, I think I keep, every time I come to that question, every time I came to it myself, mm -hmm. I would say, okay, first of all, this Bible, however you think of God inspiring the authors, I'm not, we're not going to argue over that, right? Okay. We have the Bible mm -hmm. and it was inspired in some way. But if the Bible that you turn to on a daily basis or on a regular basis for guidance can't be challenged by who you are, then I'm not sure it deserves to be that voice of guidance in your life. And the same goes for who God is. If God can't handle your questions and your challenges, then I don't know that that God is big enough, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. It, it is scary. So talking about the garden, the story, what happens in the garden is not actually being a, a sin, but really just a step up. What separates you know humans from other animals is that we actually have this thing, which is the knowledge of good and evil. And that at times is kind of annoying because <laughs> mm -hmm. how having that knowledge plays out for us. But it also is amazing in what has led to technology and developments and all kinds of amazing things about this human being human in our human society. So, yeah. Well, let's um, let's go to the the New Testament for a second. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a heck of a time. Uh, which Jesus? <laughs> which is the which is the you know is it Matthew's Jesus or Mark's Jesus or John's or Luke's or Thomas's? <laughs> you know, it was yeah. a question, or, or is there a real one there? And that and you wrestle with that as well in your text here I do. Um, of talking about how it's good to view the different viewpoints. Right. And even just that, what you've said is, is new to a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not aware that, or are just taught to read verses from here and there. And this is all Jesus. And so I think it's actually in a sense, more powerful to know that the Matthew, the writer of Matthew is actually doing something and when I say, use that kind of language, some people get uncomfortable. So how about we could say, you know, that God is inspiring him to, to produce a certain depiction of Jesus, but it is different than the one you see in Mark. And what we've already been talking about so far, John, all of these pieces add up to needing to be honest about what we think the Bible is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. And many of us, or, you know, there's this element of reading it as all fact, all history, all no errors. And I don't even like talking about there being errors or contradictions because that means that there can't be more than one perspective on something. And that's really what, when you have two, two versions of a story in the Bible, they don't both have to be true in that they didn't both have to happen, but they're both telling you some sort of message, some sort of meaning. And I think that's what we, we get a richer understanding of who Jesus was for people in the early church. If we can just let, if we can let each of the gospels 
do their thing, if you will, right? Get at their own essence of what what the gospel is trying to say about Jesus. Jennifer Grace Bird, my guest on Religion for Life, author of Permission Granted, uh, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. Uh, one of the phrases that, uh, two of the phrases that you came up that I were learning for me, son of God and son of man. Ah. And I tell us the son of God is about a human being and yes. son of man is about a divine being. Yes. Actually, I didn't quite put it together before. Yeah, and that chart that's it seems seems flipped, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So so one of the things about these labels is son of God is used to talk about lots of humans, not just Jesus and prior to Jesus. Um I know some people will say, well, it was said about Jesus, so now they're going to say it about others. I think it actually works in the reverse that it's you know, emperors and kings and important leaders, mm -hmm. men of course, but are referred to as a son of God. But the thing I think is revelatory or interesting is that is to look at why why would ancient societies be saying this about a human and they're trying to it, it is a label to say something important about someone so saying that for instance the first time i saw it myself was in reading the iliad and i realized that you know a, a guy who died in battle who previously was thought of as a bastard they did not know who his father was but he did something heroic and miraculous or just seemingly superhuman well he must be he must be son of a god because only that kind of a human could do such a thing so son of god is a way of saying something special important and powerful about a human and then the son of man is the label that we see first in Daniel mm -hmm. meant a reference to it. And then we see it being used to talk about Jesus, not as much in the first three gospels, what we refer to as the synoptic gospels, but much more in John's gospel, that it's very clear that he is the son of man. And that means that he was a divine being who came to earth and took on human form. Kind of has to do with the end of times or whatever. It, it does in some ways. Mm -hmm. kind of, yes. Yeah. So, but Jesus probably didn't say that so much, the historical person about himself, you think? I think no. I okay. think he probably did. That was a later uh, addition. Ad yeah, to attribution. Him, attribution. Yeah, that'd be good. I want to talk about you, you throughout the book. You talk about women's experience and and some of the hard stories of the Bible. I mean, it's a patriarchal book. Um, how, how how do you as yourself? Some people have said Mary Daly, you know, took off her stole and walked off the church out of Harvard University and said, "I'm done." Right. It's exactly. hopelessly patriarchal. Yep. But you've found a way to. Stay with it. I, I think that there's a way to, there's an element, a way to not, s <laughs> there are days, let me just be honest, okay. there are days <laughs> when I want to agree with Mary Daly, um, but I don't find that helpful. That's the okay. thing. Do you know All what right. I mean? And so this is a book that has, that has inspired so much art and creativity and, you know, courageous so much over 2000 years that I'm not willing to just get rid of it. And there are elements of power for, for women, I think within these stories. Okay. But yeah, there, I think one of the problems is that many of us have been taught to just kind of read right past the violence or the abuse of women and to sweep it under the rug and say, but it's part of God's bigger plan or, and I, you know, and I've had this conversation, I've had people respond to me recently saying things like this, you know, I get into, calm exchanges on Facebook uh, to this end <laughs> right. and, and I back out if it gets too, you know, pugnacious, but you know, no, it's not okay with me that Abraham pimps out Sarah 
so right. that he can survive when they go to Egypt. That's not actually okay with me that she ends up being having to have sex with a pharaoh that night. I'm not going to just be okay with that. We need to talk about that. Or she gets no choice into whether happens to Isaac, right? Right. Yes. Yes. How many mother, par- you know, parents, when you actually just let them say it, you know, you can see it sometimes on their faces in class, but then when you say, yeah, would you let that, how would you feel if that had happened to you with your son? Oh, oh no. That is not, you know. Yeah. Let's actually talk about it instead of pre- finding ways to make it okay. Because when we find ways to make that kind of, um, an interaction, okay, we're perpetuating some really abusive, not very healthy dynamics for people. Right. Yeah. And we're putting halos also around bad texts, as one uh, scholar put it. I mean, there's, true. there's a, there's a, it's okay for us to be able to say some of the Bible is not necessarily holy. Yeah. Right. And, and I, you know, and I think about some of the conversations I have with church members too. I try to have these kinds of conversations with, with folks who aren't necessarily in classrooms, you know, but, and part of what I think what I'm up to, especially in that chapter on women is to have people try to sit in thinking about just how pervasive the patriarchal element is. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I think your, your reference to Mary Daly is about. It is pretty pervasive. And I, I would like people to just be aware of that so that when they say, you know, Dr. Burt, I just believe the Bible, you know, you know, I'd like you to be able to read it and see it without the halo mm-hmm. so that you can know what it is you're saying. When you say to me, you believe the Bible, you believe it's okay that, you know, G- Gomer is used, you know, just all these pieces. I don't, I don't know how much of these stories to get into with you right now, but right. you know, I want you to know what you're saying. Right. That. Yeah. Sorry. And, and, uh, because when we allow the Bible to be a human book as you're bringing it out, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's just a, well, I don't know. Even we can talk about how God relates to it. And that's a, another question, too, um, about what we mean when we talk about God and the Bible. Yeah, I think it's an important question. What do you, tell me. I don't, <laughs> do you want me to solve this right now? Yeah, I mean, you, because you do talk about it, and near, near, I don't want to give it all away. You talk about the end that, that, um, the way we read, the, if we read the Bible as belittling others or discriminating against others, that's not inspirational. That's not of God. I don't think it is. Yeah. But, the, the, but there are a way of a way of which we engage with what these folks engaged with back when they wrote it. You know that there is a way of seeing the holy or the sacred or God in there as sure, well. Sure. Sure. You talk about empowerment too. Right. And and what does it mean when they say something is inspired by God at, to at all? I think lots of people are inspired by God in lots of different ways. And mm-hmm. inspiration does not mean literal channeling. <laughs> yes. And that's an important element, right? The other thing to respond to your comment, I think, is, yeah, you're right. You don't want to give too much away. And yet I, I think it's okay to say that by the end of the book, after having talked people through the, lots of these conversations, what I essentially do at the very end is show you my cards and say, here's the way I think about what, who, who God is, right? God is about life. God is about empowerment. God is about love. God is about not just flowery nice stuff you know god is about kicking us in the butt when and and usually does that with our friends and family when we need it you know Mm -hmm. that's what love is but but that becomes your lens for how to know if something is inspired by god i think and your lens is probably different than mine in some ways but i i know that our lenses overlap a little bit you know but it takes us to have the lens and to put the responsibility to the human being 
right, to make yes. the choice to use all of your facilities and to use that communication, the community, and, and whatever it might be. Yep. To be able to, to wrestle with it, not just go for some easy answer of, well, the Bible said it, so that's it. Exactly. It's a tool that way instead of yeah. an inspiring word. Yeah. Jennifer Grace Bird, uh, author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands, a, a great book with study guides and questions. And uh, who, who, one final question, we're just about, about 30 seconds okay. left. Who, who, who will benefit from reading this book? The, well, my answer is going to sound silly. A lot of people. <laughs> okay. Anyone, actually, could benefit. I had a friend say recently when she re started reading it, I think everyone should read this, regardless of your faith. So mm -hmm. I know that's not real. That sounds silly, but I literally think everyone could benefit from this. I do too. Jennifer, thank you for being with me today on Religion for Life. And thanks for this great book. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Find podcasts at religionforlife.com. Listen to Religion for Life on KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, and WEHC, Emory, Virginia. Religion for Life is produced and distributed with assistance from WETS Johnson City, Tennessee, and KBOO Portland. Be well. Thank you.